This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah, looking tonight at chapter 36, verses 1 through 32, page 664 in the Pew Bibles. For the sake of time, what I'd like to do is just read the passage as we go through it, uh, and as we think about it, so we're not reading it and then going back through it again, just for the sake of time. But uh, let's go ahead and pray before we dig into God's Word tonight. Our Father, we thank you for this passage, this chapter that we're about to study this evening. This is your word, and we pray that just as you have inspired it, given it, and just as you have preserved it for us to this day, that you would take it and teach us and feed us from it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It is not contradictory to say, uh, but it is true, that the word of God is always in danger. And the Word of God is never in danger. It all depends on how you look at it. In this passage before us, uh, we see an instance of opposition to the Word of God, and certainly not the the first or the last. Uh, In fact, many have tried over the years to extinguish the Word of God, or taking from this passage, to set on fire uh, the Word of God. And its staying power in spite of opposition is one more reason to put our confidence in it. The Puritan Thomas Watson, who, by the way, is one of the more readable uh, of the Puritans, one of the more warm of the Puritans, he puts it this way, talking about just the, the constancy of Scripture. He says, We may know the Scripture to be the Word of God by its miraculous preservation in all ages. The Holy Scriptures are the richest jewel that Christ has left us. And the church of God has so kept these public records of heaven that they have not been lost. The word of God has never wanted enemies to oppose and, if possible, to extirpate it. I had to look that one up. It basically means to exterminate, but it has the idea of pulling up by the roots, pulling the roots out, like pulling out a weed. But it means to get rid of, basically, to exterminate, as you might guess from the context. But God has preserved this blessed book inviolable to this day. The devil and his agents have been blowing at Scripture light, but could never blow it out. A clear sign that it was lighted from heaven. Well, in this passage, we see an effort to extirpate the Word of God and how that effort has failed. But we want to look at this chapter uh, under four headings that, that sort of follow the flow of events. First, the inspiration of the Word, the proclamation of the Word, the rejection of the Word, and then the preservation of the Word of God. So first of all, the inspiration of the Word in verses 1 through 4. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster I intend to do to them, so that everyone may turn from his evil way, and I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. So here, the inspiration of the word 
uh, we find as God it tells Jeremiah to write these things down. Now, here we've been studying Jeremiah for 35 chapters, and we hear Jeremiah speaking, talking, you know, whether in the temple courts, whatever it might be, he's talking. But then we turn around and think, well, we're, we're reading this. It's written down. How did that happen? When did that come about? Well, we have some clues here in this passage and in this chapter into the origin of the book of Jeremiah itself, the very book that we are studying. The Lord says to Jeremiah, take a scroll, write on it all the words I've spoken to you against Israel and Judah, all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until today. Probably a reference to what we have now is Jeremiah 1 through 25, and also uh, chapters 46 through 51, which do have to do with God's declaration of judgment on the surrounding nations outside of Israel and outside of Judah, which the Lord specifically refers to. Well, why not the middle chapters? Well, as we've been seeing, a lot of these middle chapters in Jeremiah are are biographical. They have to do with Jeremiah's life, with the opposition that came to him as a prophet. Uh, and fascinating uh, as a glimpse into Jeremiah's life, and it certainly makes it all much more personal. But his message we see really in chapters 1 through 25, 46 through 51. And so the Lord says, take what you've been proclaiming and write it down. Now, very likely Jeremiah has been keeping records, uh, maybe a journal of his messages and uh, probably not doing all this from memory, but the Lord is saying, take it, compile it, begin to write it down, and that's exactly what he does. And the reason the Lord gives is that perhaps, maybe, uh, they, the house of Judah will hear and repent, so that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. And uh, so the hope here, however faint, is maybe that in this written, more formal form, the people might respond. Now, it's an interesting thing here to think about this in light of the fact that this could be the beginnings of the book of Jeremiah, because we talk about how do we get the scripture. In fact, we've got a, a Sunday school class going on on that topic right now, how we got the Bible. It's a fascinating subject. Uh, but we talk about the Bible being inspired, and yet as you read the scriptures, you see God's word coming in different ways. Sometimes it, it is by dictation. You think of the Ten Commandments. Uh, or where the Lord specifically says, write this down. You know, these words are faithful and true. Uh, very often, it is uh, what we would call organic inspiration. For example, we're studying First Peter this morning. The Lord did not dictate that letter to Peter, and he writes it down verbatim. He wrote, uh, addressing the needs of those believers he was writing to, at the same time, though, as he wrote, he was led by the Spirit of God to write exactly what the Lord wanted him to write using his vocabulary, his background, his experiences. And that, that letter is preserved for us in the Scriptures as First Peter, as the Word of God. Uh, Jeremiah, the same uh, in the same way. Some of that was organic. Some of them are specific messages given by the Lord that he is to proclaim. But here we see it beginning to be written down. Uh, beginning to be organized and, and put down in a certain form. And so as we read that, we remember that Jeremiah's words, like the words of other writers in Scripture, are not ultimately their own. They are the Word of God. You know, all Scripture is God-breathed and given by God uh, for the various purposes he has for We think of um, in Second Peter, where Peter talks about how the prophets you know, were moved, were carried by the Holy Spirit. 
that they were writing what God wanted them to be written. So we remember, and we're reminded here, uh, that what we have written is not just the words of Jeremiah, although they are that, but they are ultimately the word of God. And we're reminded here of the inspiration, the divine origin, the, the divine authority of the Bible, that we don't sit in judgment of it, whether we accept its teachings or not, but it sits in judgment of us. And uh, we, we bow our thinking to it, we bow our behavior to it, rather than forcing it to conform to what we like and what we don't like. So first of all, we're just reminded here of the inspiration of the Word of God. As the Lord says to Jeremiah, now write down everything that I have been saying to you, that you have been proclaiming aloud. Let's get a written record of this in place. And so that's, that's what happens. And again, the purpose is grace so that they might repent, so that I might have mercy on them and forgive their sins. And God's word as a whole is a message of grace. The whole book comes to us that we might repent, that we might experience the forgiveness of the Lord. So inspiration. Second is proclamation, a lengthy section here having to do with the declaration of this word. Because we notice that even when it becomes written down, it's still important to declare it aloud. Let's read verses 5 on to 19. Uh, pick up with verse uh, verse 4, rather. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah. Baruch was his uh, his secretary, his amanuensis. Uh, chronologically, this is the first time Baruch appears. Uh, he appeared in an earlier passage in Jeremiah, which actually came later than, than this event. But in terms of chronology, in terms of the flow of time, this is the first uh, time Baruch appears. Jeremiah calls Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am banned from going to the house of the Lord, so you are to go, and on the day of fasting and the hearing of all the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah who come out of their cities. It may be that their plea for mercy will come before the Lord, and that everyone will turn from his evil way, for great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against this people. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did all that Jeremiah the prophet ordered him about reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. In the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, all the people in Jerusalem, all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem, proclaimed a fast before the Lord. Baruch read, or then in the hearing of all the people, Baruch read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. When Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the king's house, into the secretary's chamber, and all the officials were sitting there, Elishama, the secretary, Deleah, the son of Shemaiah, Elnathan, the son of Achbor, Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the officials. And Micaiah told them all the words he had heard when Baruch read the scroll in the hearing of the people. And then all the officials sent Jehudi, the son of Nethaniah, son of Shelemiah, son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, Take in your hand the scroll you read in the hearing of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them. 
And they said to them, Sit down and read it. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all the words, they turned one to another in fear. And they said to Baruch, We must report all these words to the king. And they asked Baruch, Tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? Baruch answered them, He dictated all these words to me while I wrote them with ink on the scroll. Then the officials said to Baruch, Go and hide you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. So the proclamation of the word. Jeremiah says, uh, Baruch, I'm banned from going to the temple. Um, Probably on the human level, some have suggested maybe the Lord had told Jeremiah he couldn't go for whatever reason. Um, In in the event, it maybe did help somewhat to separate the message of the Lord from Jeremiah. So it wasn't just seen as this quirky Jeremiah out railing against the nation again. Uh, But for whatever reason, probably on the human level, he was banned. He was forbidden from going to the temple. And so he says, Baruch, got a job for you. I want you to go to the house of the Lord and uh, read all of these words that I have written down on the day of fasting in the Lord's house. Read them in the hearing of all the men of Judah who come out of their cities. And and so he does. Verse 8, Baruch, the son of Neriah, did everything. He went, and then we have the specific account of it in verses 9 and following. There he is in the temple. It's specified very clearly where he was when he read these words. And perhaps in an open window or a doorway, uh, the description indicates he would have been up above a little bit where most of the people would be. So very easily seen, very easily heard. And he reads, verse 10, In the hearing of all the people, Baruch read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll in the house of the Lord. There is this this proclamation. Uh, I do want to turn over to Jeremiah 45. Uh, Some of you may have used Robert Murray McShane's reading calendar, and if you have, you may remember when you read Jeremiah 36, he also puts Jeremiah 45 with it. So we're looking at Jeremiah 45. Right now, a very, very short chapter for Jeremiah, um, just five verses. Uh, but here's what it says. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch the son of Neriah when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. You said, Woe is me! For the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. That's Baruch's own sentiments. Thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built I am breaking down, and what I have planted I am plucking up. Extirpating, perhaps. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh declares the Lord, but I will give you your life as a prize of war in all places to which you may go. We learned a lot about Jeremiah, but just a a personal glimpse into Baruch here, uh, into the anguish of soul that he felt over things that were going on, and the Lord's message coming to him. And it's sort of a summary of what's going on, but also the Lord pledges to protect him and to, to keep him. So just a personal word toward Baruch, we really don't get here, but we see in that, that additional chapter. Well, that's exactly what Baruch does. He goes and he, he declares this message. Uh, there's not much of a reaction noted. Maybe the people are too busy fasting to repent. We don't know. 
but there doesn't seem to be much of a reaction except on the part of one person who hears and is, is very moved by the message that he hears. This Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, son of Shaphan, when he heard, he went down to the king's house into the secretary's chamber, and apparently there's a meeting going on. We're given some of the names, and there are others, uh, Elishama the secretary and, and so forth, uh, these names that are given there. El Nathan, the son of Achbor, apparently was the father-in-law of the king. That kind of made things a little bit awkward uh, for him. Uh, but there's these officials that are gathered there in a meeting, and Micaiah, uh, when he hears what Baruch is reading, he goes to the king's house, and Micaiah tells them, verse 13, all that they had heard what Baruch said. And so they send Jehudi, the son of Nethaniah, uh, and he goes to Baruch, inviting him to come and read there in this meeting. And so he does. Verse 15, they said to him, sit down and read it. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all the words, they turned to one another in fear. And they said, we need to report all these words to the king. The word is proclaimed, and there is a reaction. The reaction here is fear. They're, they're very much gripped by this message, a uh, message you and I are familiar with from our studies of Jeremiah. And the fear on the one hand, but also saying this needs to go to the king, whether the sense is, you know, the king needs to hear this message, these dire words, or whether it is, this is treasonous, and this is something the king needs to hear about. Um, it's unsure, although it does seem, given their fear, whether it's fear of God or fear of the king, whether it's reporting it to the king because he needs to hear it or reporting it to the king because this is a treasonous message, is sort of left uh, ill-defined, not defined here. But they do want to report it. But first, they want to clarify, Baruch, where did you get this? Where did this come from? How did you write these words? Was it at his dictation? And we all know who his refers to. It refers to Jeremiah. And Baruch said, yes, he dictated all these words to me while I wrote them with ink on the scroll. So they want to make sure this is the real deal. And then they say, okay, now you go hide and take Jeremiah with you. Uh, let no one know where you are because they're going to go report this to the king. Now, what you need to know about these officials is many of these were associates or trained under Josiah, who was the king who instituted a great deal of reform when the book of the law was found and, uh, and repented and led Israel in repentance. Uh, 2 Kings 22, the book of the law is found and some, and there in, in Jerusalem. It's read to the king. And what does the king do? What does Josiah do? He tears his robes in grief. Now, these were men who were associated with him, and that's one reason you find a sympathetic response to the message of Baruch, and not just to the message, but to Baruch himself. Tell me, you guys go hide, because we don't want to know where you are. If the king asks, well, where are they? We want to be able to say, we don't know. Go hide, because we're going to need to report this message to the king. This can't just be, you know, can't just let this, this go. So these men were sympathetic. Uh, some of the names occur along with Josiah. And uh, they're caught, caught in a tough spot because on the one hand, they recognize the truths that Jeremiah preaches. On the other hand, they're serving under this King Jehoiakim, whose character and response we'll see in just a minute. So on the one hand, there's fear in this proclamation of the word. But then we come to the third phase of this, and it's the rejection of the word. We see that in verses 20 through 26. So they went into the court to the king having put the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the secretary. They don't even bring it. They put the scroll away. And they reported all the words to the king, 
obviously in general fashion. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishama the secretary, and Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. Notice this is the third time this message is being read. It was read by Baruch there in the temple precincts. It's read by Baruch in the meeting. Now it's read by Jehudi in the presence of the king. It was the ninth month. Uh, would have been November, December uh, time of the year. So it was a cool time of the year, which explains the king was sitting in the winter house. And there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. So there's a fire going on. And as Jehudi read three or four columns the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire, in the fire pot, until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. The scroll itself, uh, if it was typical, would be about 10 inches high, of course with a dowel or spindle on either end, and it would be scrolled from the left hand to the right. In other words, reading from right to left with a column, and another column, and another column. You would read one column and go to the right, you know, reading right to left, as, as Hebrew would be read. And uh, probably of papyrus, given how easily it was cut and, and burned. And uh, But as it's read, every few columns, the king would take his knife, uh, probably a scribe's knife, which was sometimes used for preparing the papyrus to write on, but here, using it to destroy this scroll, he'd cut off a little bit of it and throw it into the fire. What a contrast. So you go from Josiah, who hearing the word of God, tore his robes in grief and repentance, to Jehoiakim, who takes it as it's read and burns it in the fire. Why does he do that? Well, it certainly could be seen as an expression of contempt for the word of the Lord. It could also indicate a fear of the message, and at the same time, a superstitious idea that if you could just get rid of it, it wouldn't happen. We'll just take these words and burn them. That way they don't exist. That way all of this that it talks about may not happen after all. Probably both. Uh, obviously, to cut it and burn it was an expression of contempt, but there may have been some of that fear underlying it as well. Not the fear of the Lord, but the fear of these consequences coming and a desire to be rid of them. And notice also what happens. Verse 24, neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. There's no fear of the Lord. There's maybe a superstitious idea if they get rid of the words and these things, if they could happen at all, won't happen. But there's no fear of the Lord. There's no tearing of the garments as Josiah did. There's no expression of repentance. There's no receiving this message from the Lord through Jeremiah. Verse 25, even when Elnathan and Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll. A bit of a risky uh, action. When they urged him not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, and Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdiel, to seize Baruch, the secretary, and Jeremiah, the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Boy, of course, they went and hid themselves, but the Lord kept them from being found. The Lord protected them. And the wisdom of those earlier officials and advisors was well borne out because the king sent for them, no doubt uh, not to commend them or, or reward them. 
And so you have here the, the rejection of the word. And just as some people do respond to the word of God with fear and acceptance, there are other people who respond in this way. They either have contempt for it, reject it, try to destroy it, try to ignore it, hoping it's nothing, won't happen. Uh, and yet God's word has a way of coming back. It has a way of not going away. And we see that then in the final section, the preservation of the word, verses 27 and following. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Can't get rid of the word of the Lord because you can't get rid of the Lord. He has a way of continuing to speak here and gives his word again. 28, take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll. You know, if only they had word processors and it backed up a file and he could have printed it out again, but not so. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, you have burned the scroll, saying, Why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off uh, from it man and beast? That's Jehoiakim's attitude. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster I have pronounced against them, but they would not hear. And then Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it the dictation of Jeremiah, all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. God's word comes back with a vengeance. It comes back with even more added to it. The preservation of the word, we see it in one way here, just through the sheer effort of going back through and dictating uh, the, the words uh, that they had given before, had written before, that were burned in the fire. But they come back, and even more words are added to them. And there's, and on top of that, this word of judgment uh, on the king and on his rebellious people. So the word comes back. It is preserved. And it's always preserved. Our confession, chapter 1 of the Westminster Confession, speaks of how God has preserved his word and kept it pure in every age, kept it down to the present day. And there are those today who oppose the word of God for various sundry reasons, either because of what it says or the nature of it, that they don't like it, they think it's out of date, whatever it might be. And yet God's word, as the scriptures tell us, uh, is living and active. It has a way of finding its way back, even when you try to get rid of it. And it is fascinating to read these words, if only to think that what we have here, obviously the first scroll is burned, but the second dictation, the second writing, with many other words added to it, are very likely at least some form of what we now have as the book of Jeremiah, which has been preserved for us to the present day from the time of Jeremiah. And so it's kind of staggering to think about that. But we see here the inspiration of the word. It comes from the Lord. The proclamation of the word, even written down, the word is read, and not so much in this case perhaps, but in other places, is explained and is expounded upon and how important that is. We see the rejection of the word uh, by not just 
someone in society, but the very king, the very leader himself, and yet the preservation of it. It's written again, and it's coming back. The message is there. It's true. It's not going away. The Bible's always in danger because there are always those who want to get rid of it, either literally you know, burning it, stopping its printing, keeping it from being brought in, whatever it might be, or figuratively just to ignore it, squelch it, just not to let it out into the public square, into people's lives. There are those tragically, even in the pulpits of churches, who seem to keep the Word of God out of the churches. But as Paul said when he was in chains, the Word of God is not bound. The Word of God is living and active, and it has a way of finding its way back in. It has a way of coming back. It does not go away. You can't make it stay away forever. The Word of God is, for that reason, never in danger, precisely because it is the Word of God. So we give thanks to the Lord for His Word. I like Charles Spurgeon's comment when he says, defend the Bible. I would just as soon defend the lion. Hey, we do want to defend the Bible. We want to speak for it because it is God's truth. It is God's Word. It has the message of life so that as we hear it, we might repent of our sins and may have our iniquity forgiven, have our sins pardoned by the Lord. While the Word of God is always in danger, the Word of God is never in danger because of this promise from Isaiah 40, verse 8, a familiar promise. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, even a king like Jehoiakim could not get rid of your Word, and the powers that be today cannot get rid of your Word. Your Word is active, and it's changing lives, and it's at work. Even if it doesn't make the headlines, Lord, even if it's not the big news stories, your Word, your word is always active and at work and changing and shaping, perhaps in quiet ways, sometimes in grand ways. But, Lord, we thank you that your Word has come to us, and help us to treasure it rightly. Help us, Lord, to treasure it in our hearts, to hide it up, hide it in our hearts, that uh, we might be led by it and guided by it. Father, we thank you for the truths of your word, and above all, how they point us to Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer. And we pray in his name. Amen.